1: Welcome back. This is the Big Blue Banter New York Giants football podcast. I'm Dan Schneier. I'm joined by Nick Filato. On today's show, we're going to break down our overall key takeaways from this draft, the 50,000, 30,000 foot view of where the Giants are headed, what their strategy was, if they had a strategy, we'll get into that if we believe they had a strategy and a theme for this draft, and our overall thoughts, not necessarily breaking down as much the players and the specific prospects but just the overall view of the Giants draft. So on that note, Nick, I want to dive first into your overall takeaways from this draft. You can, if you want, you can provide a grade on the draft. That's not as important. Just give us kind of some of your overall feeling or even your main takeaway from what the Giants did in this draft. I'm not not a big grading the draft when you haven't seen the... uh seen the
2: the product on the field and how everyone is going to be implemented and utilized but i came away from this draft really happy because you address the biggest need that's been the biggest need for so damn long for the giants and that is the offensive line you get a high upside developmental pick in Matt per you get just a really solid potential pro bowler uh, in andrew thomas he has that potential it's not out of the question we'll see if it actually comes to fruition with the fourth pick and then you have a first round value land right on your lap staying at 36 with Xavier McKinney who can do so many different things for your defense. And you also bring in other secondary pieces later on like Darnay Holmes and even Chris Williamson to compete back there. They have a lot of young players for that secondary. So it's not just going to be, well, who are we going to play in a slot? Well, let's move Corey Ballantyne there, even though he's never done it and that's not <laughs> what he does because Grant right. Haley can't do it. So you have depth there and that had to be a conversation looking at the draft. That had to be a conversation nice. that the coach that Pat Shermer and James Betcher and Dave Gettleman had last year. They had to have that conversation. Like, look, we don't know what we're doing. a like Haley <laughs> cannot cover the vertical <laughs> seam. So what are we going to do? Let's just move somebody who's put purely a boundary corner there to see. And they had to just overcome that. So, the Giants went out and addressed that need. And then they just brought in linebackers because they did not have that many linebackers on this roster that were NFL caliber. They brought in inside linebackers, they brought in outside linebackers. And everyone that they brought in was a team captain, somebody with a lot of experience. Not not they weren't all team captains. So I don't believe McKinney was a team captain, but you know, played in the SEC, has experience, was a team captain or and just is a good locker room presence has a high work ethic and they're guys who aren't me guys they're team guys and that's what joe judge wants that's more of that belichickian new england thing that we all kind of talk about all the time so it's really hard not to for me it's hard not to like really hate this draft i could tell i could see people being like well why didn't they address the edge why didn't they address receiver i could see why people would say that but the picks that they did get I, to me, they're smart investments. They're smart picks. They're good guys. They're not the Demontre Moores. They're not guys who are going to be kicked off the team <laughs> or get arrested with drugs or anything ridiculous like that. At least it doesn't seem like they're going to be players like that. So I'm I'm happy with the haul that the Giants came away with. Address the offensive line, bring in solid players, and uh, just— Really, kind of see if these guys can develop. Even the day three guys, man. Even some of these day three guys could be special teams aces.
1: Guys like Cam Brown, like we talked about on the last pod, you know. So I um I come away really pleased with what happened. Yeah, I mean, I'm a little disappointed they didn't find another JPP of tight ends. Nah, but, but for real, yeah. <laughs> I was thinking about that when you mentioned the uh with the with the Demontre Moore. I mean, there's just so many disasters there from those draft classes. But for me, this is the hap- This is the most pleased i've come away with the giants draft in as for as long as i can remember i can i'm not going to say it's going to be as good as that 2007 draft class because that would take a lot to be as good as that class but I think it can be as good or better than the twenty nineteen class, which I think is going to eventually be a really, really, really good class. I think we're already seeing that with a few guys in Dexter, Lawrence, and Terry Sleet. I think we'll see that moving forward. DeAndre Baker. And I think obviously daniel jones is is still too early to say on. but even a few other guys later, I think can really end up being turning that into one of the stronger classes. Um And because this is, you know, why do I feel so so strongly about this draft? There's a lot of reasons. It starts with what Nick said. It starts with finally going ahead and addressing the offense line. And this is not a one, this is not the start of it. They had been doing it earlier. They drafted Will Hernandez and they traded for Kevin Zeitler. That was the start of the retooling and revamping this offense line. But that wasn't enough. That wasn't it. We saw that last year. We saw a stark difference in play when Daniel Jones had protection versus Daniel Jones when he didn't have protection. We saw a stark difference in play when Saquon Barkley had somewhere to go. Versus when Saquon Barkley had nowhere to go. And which even though, it's <laughs> important, which was way, way too often with that stupid inside zone scheme. But the difference is they continued to build out the offensive line by drafting these two tackles. Now, it starts with Andrew Thomas for sure. And we're not going to go too deep into the players. So we've already done that. But on a broader scale on the thirty thousand foot view he's someone who really should be able to come in and play right away that's kind of what you're getting there you're getting the safest tackle in the class that's not a bad thing when we say the safest tackle we'll see if he can also evolve into the best tackle that remains to be seen time will tell but he's for sure the one who's ready to play in my opinion right now right away for the new york football giants and by the way he will be playing i don't know if that means Uh, You know, I don't know if that means Cameron Fleming is not going to end up starting, even though he was kind of promised that when they signed him on that one year, 4.5 million. It's the reason he chose the Giants because he thought he had playing time potential. And this is also, by the way, while I'll be a long-time believer, I've always believed Nick that the NFL should have the draft before free agency. I think it's so stupid that they don't do it the other way around. The NBA does the draft before free agency. And I think they have it right. I think the draft should 100% be before free agency, especially because free agency is supposed to be about addressing needs and the draft supposed to be about addressing value so to me it just makes sense
2: i think the reason that it's not is because the draft has so much fanfare that you can literally milk so much mm-hmm. content out of it for months yeah and kind of build it up with and you also need to have all those all-star games you have to have the combine it takes mm-hmm. a while and the nfl doesn't want like a july months. free agency
1: right yeah, yeah
2: yeah you know five months of nothing and sure. also you need to have training camp and all that other stuff where everyone's yep. kind of in so yeah you're right
1: it makes sense from that standpoint. That's a good point, actually. I didn't really think about that. If you had free agency in, like, May or something, they those guys then would take so much longer to get in the building. Uh, in a normal offseason. Obviously, this is not a normal offseason. <sighs> True. But, But back to the Giants. So, for me, again, they— Address that offensive tackle position, which again was a major need people talk about they didn't address needs in this draft Of course, they didn't go down a list of needs. That's how bad teams do it But they did address needs in drafting for value They found a lot of needs and with these two guys, like I said, you have the the right-of-way starter in Andrew Thomas And then you have the guy man and Matt pert who i'm just super excited about like I, I I tweeted about this on the on that journey to the draft podcast with greg gasell a guy who by the way you know, Nick talked about this in the lad podcast, last podcast, so our job is to continue learning. Nick is further ahead in this than I am, but we're both trying to learn, and both of us would agree that one of our idols for this, for, for when it comes to breaking down game tape, is Greg Cassell, is not Is he not? Cassell's great, yeah. I mean, he's kind of like the OG. The like, like Kuiper's the OG
2: of, like, breaking the eh. draft down. And Cassell's the OG of like breaking film down.
1: You don't think yeah. Kuiper's the OG of breaking the draft down? No, no, no. I thought you were going to go oh. in the other direction. I thought you were going to talk about Kuiper from his evaluation standpoint.
2: No, no, no. He's just, when it comes to just draft coverage. No, no. He's type. the OG
1: of breaking the draft down. I think Kuiper's biggest flaw always in his breakdowns, and it shows up literally every year, is how much he uh, weight he puts in the combine and the athleticism numbers. He's been long known to be weight. In my opinion, he weights too much in those athleticism numbers. Um, yeah, and I then, see that, I, sure. But but as far as just, you know, OG draft for sure. But Cassell, and then also on this podcast is is a guy who's who I think is unbelievable, Fran Duffy, who breaks down game ta- game tape for the Philadelphia Eagles and for their website. And on their podcast, they both had the same they both pinpointed Matt Pert as a guy who they love to take. And they said round two or round three. The Giants ended up getting him basically round four, the last pick of round three. And they said that is the guy that they would bet on. And both of them compared him, which is really interesting, to a guy who the Saints stole, one of the biggest steals in the last decade of the draft, at an—what was it? Arkansas's Pine Bluff? Is that where he played? Who are you talking about? Okay, I guess you haven't heard of him Teron Armstead? Yet. Yes, they compared him to yeah. Teron Armstead. Both of them saw Teron Armstead when watching Matt Per I mean, I'm sure he's not going to be Teron Armstead because Teron Armstead when healthy is— one, two, or three, or four best tackle in the NFL. He's literally that good. He's if not the best tackle in the NFL when healthy, he's the second, third, or fourth best. So I'm sure they're not going to get the second, third, or fourth best tackle out of Matt Burt, Probably. But the Saints took uh let's see where the Saints got arm Armstead. I'm now blanking on his exact draft pick. I know it was not in the first round, I'm pretty sure. I believe it he was in the yeah, first round. Seventy-fifth. Pick overall in the third round, the Saints drafted Teron Armstead out of Arkansas. And again, another guy from a small school, so it's hard to project them for that reason. And Matt Pert from, from Connecticut, uh, Teron Armstead, Arkansas Pine Bluff, 75th overall pick, only 20, what, 24 picks off? Yeah, and you want to know the crazy thing about the Saints, man?
2: They Every other starter on that offensive line right now is going to be a first-round pick other than Eric McCoy, who is a second, and Teron Armstead, who's arguably the best one of the bunch. So that— <laughs> That is how you build a
1: team man that is how they you don't build hesitate it. they don't they hesitate don't to replenish it. that line they understand the importance of replenishing that line and especially helps for the Saints because they've been able to pour so many uh, free agent resources into the positions of need because they don't, they literally don't care about the cap. They're just continuing to k- kick that can down the road. No team kicks the cap can get down the road more than the Saints. There will be one year when Drew Brees finally hangs it up where they're going to be like, they're going to have like 40 million in dead cap and they're just going to say fuck it for that year. Or excuse my language, they're going to say screw it for that year when they're finally, you know, 40 million over the cap with dead cap hits. I mean, but it's like they're. but until then, they're filling needs and free agency and they're drafting offensive lineman and it's working but back to back to this pick they compared him to Taron Armstead and what they said was this they said what they like most about is he has the he has the traits that you can't teach the whole goal with these offensive linemen is the hope is that you have offensive line coaches like Mark Colombo who are excited to get to work with these guys and they can get the most out of these guys but if you're six foot four with 32 inch arms it's really hard to be a really good offensive tackle in the NFL and so what Pert has is smooth feet Again, like, so some people can say, okay, what about Eric Flowers, right? He looked the part, right? He had the length, he had the size, but what Eric Flowers had was really, really bad footwork on tape, and that's something that Matt Pert does not have, and that's a really good sign. Is he going to be a people mover at the next level? No, I don't think so, but you never know because he still can fill out that body. You know, there's not an ounce of fat on him right now. He's six foot seven, 317, with 99 percentile arm length, and So for me, this pick is just such good value there at 99, but also just the exact type of swing you want to take there. But to kind of take a, a more macro level here, Nick, what I like the best is that really from that pick on, 99 through the rest of their draft, they bet on traits and they bet on upside and they bet on tools and, it's different for everyone. For Pert, it was the length; it was the feet. For Darnay Holmes, it was kind of how he moved, and it was kind of the ball skills. For Cam Brown, it was the length, and for Carter Coughlin, it was that ten-yard spit quickness. But that is the type of players. That, those, those are the type of players, at least that I want to bet on. Because listen, those are that's how where they hit on day two. Oh, I'm sorry, on day three last year. Ryan Connolly, he had the quickness. Darius Slayton, he had all the physical tools and the explosion the deep speed and that, and just things that you didn't see in that Auburn offense with the quarterback play there. And it landed them two stars there. And I think if there's going to be a sleeper from, from, uh, from day three, it's going to have, it's going to come from those guys who, that, where they bet on the traits.
2: Betting on the traits usually works. It's not just jumping at, oh, well, we need this position. Let me just draft this guy, and he's not a good culture fit, and that's another part of this. These guys are going to be – they should be, theoretically, good culture fits. They're all leaders of their college programs, and that's not something that even some of these guys who were drafted in the first round that went to other teams are not leaders. Some of them are a lot of me guys who are just ultra-talented. So I love the fact the Giants really – you know, I wrote about this extensively for Big Blue View and SI, that they brought in these guys who reportedly have high character on and off the field, and even Shane Lemieux. Shane Lemieux n- might not be the best athlete, but in a phone booth, at the line of scrimmage, on base blocks, on blocks where he can get his hands underneath you, he's going to turn you, and he's going to move you in the run game because he's really, really strong, and he's really, really powerful. He's not as talented as Will Hernandez, but it's a similar kind of thing. These are just a physical... Players who want to push you off the ball and have Mm. the ability to. They're not just stalematers. A lot of NFL teams have uh, interior offensive linemen who are just more stalematers. Guys like Lloyd Cushenberry is more of a stalemater. And that's not necessarily, I mean, it's kind of a knock, I guess, but like you could be, you know, a a really, really good offensive lineman as a stalemater in a zone scheme because all you got to do is position yourself one way and the running, it's up to the running back to choose which hole on the offensive line that he should run through. But in a power scheme, it's a little bit different because there's pin pull concepts you need to pull in this space and you need to drive your blocker to a direction that the running back knows okay there's gonna there should be one hole yeah there's cutback lanes and stuff like that but there's gonna be one hole in the B gap you know in the two hole in the three hole in the one hole whatever and that's where he's gonna go there's a destination. And you need players who can move players off the ball, like the Cowboys' offensive line have done
1: for the last several years. Yeah, you has that kind of upside, and you got him. And so happy. does Andrew Thomas, by the way. That's two oh, guys they got who have that upside.
2: Oh, of course, but Andrew, uh, like that, it doesn't even need to be said. Andrew Thomas, the best part of his game, like he's a fun- he's functional in pass protection, like he, he can get it done there. But the best part of his game is being able mm-hmm. to move you off the ball. Yep. He is a physical run blocker and you drafted saquon barkley with the second overall pick two
1: years ago you need to give him some holes to run through he had none
2: with pat Shermer, and, and now- we
1: already saw with pat Shermer that it was always going to be a projection because the penn state ran a lot of power and gap it was always going to be a projection to have him in that inside zone scheme and we saw he wasn't really a good fit for that inside zone scheme and let's now take a look at how he looks in a power in a scheme that uses more power and gap because guess what Some of the best plays I can remember, Nick, are when Will Hernandez was pulling and Saquon Barkley was breaking off big runs because of it. 100%, man. And that's the thing
2: about Saquon Barkley, too. He has that just, okay, I see the hole, and I'm going to accelerate through it. And the next thing you know, linebackers who think they have a beat on him do not have a beat on him because he's such— A good athlete, and he's just a better athlete. You don't get that a lot in the NFL, where people can just out athlete you. There's players like Mike Vick, Lamar Jackson, who have done it in the past, but like it doesn't necessarily happen because everybody, like you said in the last podcast, everybody's a five star, you know, five star recruit. Everyone's like a five star athlete to some extent, but there are some players that are just. Different. And Saquon Barkley has that. He's just a different cat when it comes to his overall athletic ability. And if he has these holes opened up for him, which he did not, you're right. I did believe even coming out of Penn State that he was going to be a better fit in a gap power system because his vision was something that was a slight knock on him. It was a slight question mark of his coming out. How will he be in his own scheme? But you put him in the power gap. And you know, get him into space. It's it's just a totally different animal. I don't believe he he really even had a chance in his own scheme because he never had the holes there to begin with.
1: And that nice. was
2: that was with Hal Hunter. Now we got Mark Colombo. Now we got a you know, different running schemes, different, coached different way, and you got better players. So your team got a lot better in that fact. And there's really no denying it there.
1: On that note, let's take a quick break to hear a word from our sponsors.
2: With currently no NBA, NHL, or MLB, you might think there's nothing to bet on. Well, you'd be wrong. Our exclusive partner, Bet Online, still has hundreds of events, games, and props to wager on. From their online casino to poker and blackjack, they're bringing Vegas to you. Missing the NFL? No problem! BetOnline has live daily Madden NFL 20 simulations you can bet on. You can still bet on Survivor, Big Brother, American Idol, stock prices, and even the Nathan's Hot Dog Eating Contest. All open 24 hours a day and all online. Go to betonline.ag and use promo code BLUEWIRE, all one word, to join today and receive your new welcome bonus. BetOnline, your online wagering solution.
1: Yeah, for sure. And for me, another Key takeaway, a little 30,000 foot view is kind of, you know, addressing where fans are standing and they're saying, you know, we didn't, the giants didn't address needs in this draft. They didn't take an edge and they didn't take a receiver. And I think that if you're looking at it from that standpoint, where did they go down this list of needs? I keep referencing ticking boxes off. They didn't do that. And I think the key, but, and while they didn't do that, and that can be debated if that's the right way to go or not, I think it's not. And I know you agree with me on that. Am I right, Nick? Yeah. Okay, but what? while they didn't address a tick-by-tick tick positional need list, what they did do is improve three areas of need that I thought, thought, were, thought were games last year. The first one was pass coverage. That was the key. Some people will blame it on the pass rush. What I saw was lapses in pass coverage as the key reason they lost games and why the defense failed. I saw issues, like you said, with the slot being able to carry vertically up the seam. That was a key issue that killed them over and over. I saw issues with the ability of, of, of an Antoine Bethea to cover in the deep half in coverage. That was a key issue. for I saw issues with deep overs killing the Giants over and over at that second level in coverage. That deep over route was just washing, especially once they had to go down to Mayo when they lost Ryan Connolly. The deep over was just a constant way to get a chunk of yardage against the Giants last year. And I think they've done a really good job of, drafting players to play in that second and third and even third level but mostly the second level to really help them get better at defending the deep over routes um and so that was the main concept then there was a second one pass protection was that a main issue for the Giants last year in their losses of course it was they lost so many games due to pass protection last year and run blocking and so when you look at those three areas there's a fourth one why they lost games for sure and it's ball security and most of that can be blamed on Daniel Jones, I believe. Some of it can be blamed on Nate Solder and, again, the pass protection leading to Jones not having time and fumbling the football. But he obviously has to get better at ball security, both fumbles and interceptions. That's, there's no doubt about that. You'd be crazy to say it was all on the offensive line. But they also took steps towards improving that because as the pass protection improves, so should Jones's ball security. Um, because some of those were Nate Solder's fault and Will Hernandez's fault, by the way, um, and even, to some extent, Mike Remmer's.
2: 100 percent it's hard to hard to really ignore that it's it's a team game it's not usually just one individual and yes he's the one that's fumbling the football but he ha- doesn't have adequate protection to allow him to go through his reads and make a damn throw a lot of interceptions always go on the quarterback but a lot of Sometimes, I'll say sometimes, definitely not a lot of times, but sometimes it's on the receiver, not running the right route, not yes. utilizing the right leverage, uh, getting to the wrong uh, landmark in the sense of, okay, this is supposed to be a 10-yard curl, he runs a 12-yard curl, and then that ball just gets undercut. It's little things like that. That's why it's there's so much nuance and there's so much just attention to detail that goes into Playing basically a lot of these positions, even receiver. I mean, look at Ruben Randall. Giants drafted him in what was oh. that? Was it a second round back in twenty? Second round pick. So many, dude. So
1: many of Eli's interceptions were his fault,
2: but it all <laughs> fell on Eli all the time.
1: <laughs> Always on Eli. I was just gonna say you brought that up first. I'm happy you did because I wanted to transition anyway. I would say at least, especially when you consider how long how. How much of Eli's career he was playing in Kevin Gilbride's system for those who don't know who are newer to the Giants or you know weren't following it like that weren't following the team like they are now. Kevin Gilbride ran a really unique offense. They were option route. It was an option route based offense. So the whole reason why when they clicked, they looked unstoppable was because it came down to Eli and his receivers having literally opt two, I think it was between two and four options on literally every single play, option routes for the receiver based on the coverage. So it was all predicated on the receiver and the quarterback seeing the same coverage. And so I would say at least a quarter, at minimum, of Eli's interceptions in career were because of the, were because literally he saw the coverage, probably better, by the way, especially early in his career, before McAdoo gave him that whole, like, get rid of the football quick, and he stopped processing the, the deeper coverage as well. But earlier in his career, I would say at least a quarter of his interceptions were because he read the coverage one way, which was probably the right way, and the stupid receivers couldn't read it that same way and ran a different route.
2: And Eli Manning's also not the guy to throw them under the bus. So he would, like, throw his arms up in the air and be like, ah, oh, crap. But, like, other quarterbacks probably would have just, like, done the whole, like, put their hands in the air and start pointing this way to really just yeah. make the receiver look like crap. Eli didn't necessarily do that. That's why a lot of the receivers, like, guys like Victor Cruz, players like Amani Toomer, even if you want to go back uh, far, like, I, I feel like just having a rapport with having that specific rapport with Eli Manning with those receivers who are – pretty high in intelligence, I would say. It just kind of was effortless in that mm-hmm. Kevin Gilbride offense.
1: Yeah, there were some guys who you really could Hakeem Nix as well before the injuries. Steve Smith as well before the injuries. Even Mario Manningham before the injuries. They they had a really bad string of luck with injuries at that wide receiver position. It's kind of wild to think of the injuries the Giants had there. When you think of Hakeem Nix, Mario Manningham... Steve Smith and Victor Cruz were literally all derailed by injuries at young ages. Um, But anyway, back to this exact, back to this team, back to the the point of this is that they improved there in pass protection for sure, and that should improve their ball security. But another key takeaway for me, Nick, and I thought, I'm curious your thoughts on this. I thought this was for sure something they prioritized in this draft, and that was literally versatility. Every single non offensive lineman they drafted can and will play two or more roles in this defensive system. And it's a defensive system that's predicated on players who can play more than one role. And even really with those offensive linemen, they're expecting them to be able to play multiple roles, both tackles and this and the, and Lemieux, who they drafted. So did you kind of see that as a priority for them, or did you think it just kind of worked out that way?
2: No, it was definitely a priority for them. They want to be much more multiple with Patrick Graham as a defensive coordinator, and you want to be more flexible on the offensive line. I mean, just think about it. Think about really anything in life. If you have more options, then there's more things you can do, and then there's more kind of darts that you could throw at the dartboard to see if you hit a bullseye. And I mean, people forget. uh, Andrew Thomas was a was an all freshman all American. Yeah, he made the freshman all American team as a right tackle in his uh, first season before he pushed over to the left side. So he has a lot of experience on that right side. He can do that. He has Mm -hmm. that in his arsenal. Matt Parr has done both at UConn, too. Shane Lemieux, he was exclusively a left guard, but he's reportedly taken snaps. Let's see if he can make that transition to center. Who knows? But, yes, definitely that versatility on the defensive side of the football, on the for the second-level defenders and the third level, which we talked about in the last podcast, a lot of that is interchangeable. So I, I really thought that Gettleman and Judge, that was a big part, of their, big part of their draft plan was to get versatile players who could fill multiple roles, who are competent, who are leaders, who are good work ethic guys. And it makes a lot of sense because think about Gettle- Gettleman. A lot of what Gettleman's done since he's took over the New York Giants was rid himself of players that did not fit well in the locker room, which is
1: interesting. Yeah, very interesting, um, for sure. And for me, that was a a key takeaway. I thought another key takeaway and a reason I I really come away so impressed and and feeling good about this draft is that they really did an excellent job, in my opinion, of bypassing the flashy picks. And for me, I've talked about this for a while, Nick, but that's how I like it. I want to bypass those flashy picks.
2: Yeah, you don't you're not a big you're not a big fan of drafting the uh, the receivers there in the first round. I'm I can't not. really I can't I can't blame you. I mean, I think of value. It, it depends on where you're at as a franchise. There are certain teams that you that know, too, so, yes. Yeah. Yeah. Like I think a Henry Ruggs going to a team like the Raiders. I think that's a, a, a good addition for that offense. And they're going to try to replicate what Tyree Hill is for the Chiefs
1: and they're going to see if they can get that. And, and you fact- look at it, by the way, Nick. Who has an amazing offensive line already in place? That's the Oakland Raiders. They already have the O-line in place. So they can uh, Obviously, they still have some question marks at left tackle, but aside from that, they have a really strong offensive line, one of the best centers, if not the best centers in football, and in my opinion, one of the best, if not the best right tackles.
2: Well, Rodney Hudson's so underrated, and obviously Trent um, Brown is just such a moose. But uh, the quarterback position's another another question mark Oh, there. they're terrible
1: at quarterback, for sure. I mean, <laughs> I don't, I mean maybe I mean, they could get something out of Mariota, but Derek Carson. Can- just a trash quarterback. I,
2: I think it's ironic that they drafted this guy who's going to take the tops off defense, but Derek Carr's going to
1: check it out. Josh Jacobs. <laughs> <No>. It's insane. <laughs> It's it, it it's crazy enough that Derek Carr checks down more than any quarterback in the NFL, but when you also factor in the fact that he has had really good pass protection for the vast majority of his career, it makes it even crazier. Like how are you checking down so much? like so early? I watched it when I watched that one, I think it was uh what's his name? Ted Nguyen, who's a big film guy on Twitter. This is where I got this from. He did a compilation of all Derek Carr's checkdowns and it was a wild video to watch, but like Derek Carr checks down in some of the weirdest spots, man. Like there's no pressure at times when he's just like firing the ball out to the back for four yards. <laughs> it's like first and 10, four yards, not even first and 10. He's like third and 10 sometimes where he's just checking down. And and I read it and then he he attached a quote to it, Ted Wynn, where he was like, he said he thought that the best option on third down sometimes is to check it down because these guys can make plays after the catch. Like no, dude. Like defenses are literally predicated on third downs at playing the sticks and then rallying underneath to the football. On these, you're gonna have like two or three defenders rallying to these underneath routes, and it does not work often. Do you do you remember what Giants fans know this best from watching the later Eli Manning years on the third and longs where he tried to check down and just route these defenders just rally to the football and 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 it would cause a punt, but. Back to the point of this, I do agree with you. Some teams have the luxury of taking a wide receiver. Will that be if you have your offensive line in place? Sure. And it's young and talented or like in the Cowboys situation, when a value like that just slams down and they're on their doorstep CD lamb to me wide receiver one in this draft class, they had him rated as the sixth best player on their overall board. I can't blame them for that. I fucking, this guy is unbelievable wide receiver prospect. It sucks that the Cowboys have him. It really does. But it's all the more reason why it's good the Giants keep drafting these corners, by the way, because um, they're going to need them. You never can have too many corners. But, but yeah, overall point there is I do think in the Giants position they were in, and for the most part, by the way, you should be bypassing flashy picks. And that doesn't, that just, by the way, Nick, I'm not just relegating flashy picks to wide receivers. The edge position is generally a very flashy position. Guys, I think, get boosted up based more than where they should be drafted because they're pass rushers. Everybody believe has this mindset. You have to have these big blue goose, like blue chip type pass rushers. I don't know if I believe that, A, especially with, uh, where the NFL is moving. We've talked about this with the quarterbacks getting rid of the football so fast and so many you know schemes using so much mesh concepts and, and over-the-middle quick hitters. Um so I don't know if I believe in that, but also more importantly, I'm happy they didn't boost up some of these edge guys just to take an edge.
2: My thing is, and I see it on Twitter, people are acting like they should have took an edge instead of – what edge did you think they should have took instead of Darnay Holmes? I, like yeah. who, who exactly in your mind is, is the player? Because guys like Curtis Weaver fell, and he wouldn't even have hit the scheme. Guys like Bradley and I fell. And I question if he would have fit the scheme. And he has, you know, smaller arms or shorter arms, I should say. And he's not somebody who you necessarily want to drop into coverage. It was a weak edge class.
1: You you can't draft something that's not there. Yeah,
2: you can't draft something that's not there.
1: Yes, exactly, Nick. Thank you. The biggest mistake the Giants could have made in this draft was forcing edge in one of the worst edge classes. That's how bad teams do this thing, guys. That is how the draft is done by the bad GMs. Look at every GM who's got fired. Maybe we'll do this one day if we have time. We'll look back at these freaking GMs who are fired and show you that they were drafting for need, and that's the real reason why they they didn't work out there. When you look at your roster, and even Gettleman said this himself, he said he's not, you know, Gettleman's. he knows, we know he's not perfect, by the way. That's obvious. But, you know, even though I'm, I'm leaning back on the Gettleman bandwagon after this draft, Nick, I really am. But he has his flaws. Obviously, I would have never done the Leonard Williams trade. But I'm leaning back on it. But my point is—
2: Oh, that makes me sick. I know. I can't
1: bring it up because people are so sick of hearing it. Yeah. But the fact that they could have had Zach Bond for $14 less than Leonard Williams for the next four years and probably signed Leonard Williams, I'm never going to believe they couldn't, is disgraceful. And it would have made this team so much better if they had done it. But okay. Let's hope that Bond has him. i <laughs> not, not wishing death on Bond, but let's hope that he's not as good as we think he can be. Um, but anyway, back to this. The point is, Gettleman has even said, the biggest mistake of my career as a GM in his mind is when he came back in that draft after the Super Bowl with Carolina and they had the major needs at cornerback and he and he reached for cornerbacks because that was the major needs. He said that was the worst draft I ever had. It was the worst mistake I ever had. And I'm happy he's not doing he didn't do that in this draft. And it doesn't look like for at least as long as he'll be the Jammy of the Giants, I don't think he'll ever do that. Was that
2: the uh corn elder and Zach Sanchez?
1: It was it was yeah, yeah, exactly. Yep.
2: Yeah, Zach Sanchez, like, I don't even think, like, cracked the practice, or he got off the practice quality, and he was, like, a fourth or fifth round pick, the kid out of Stanford, I think he it was. It was
1: Elder, Sanchez, and then they also got Bradbury, I'm pretty sure, in that class, so it worked for one of the three, but they forced, they, you know, they jammed in with the other picks.
2: Yeah, Elder was out of Miami, I feel like, too. I remember Elder, he was a really scrappy slot, he was a smaller, I think he's still
1: on the roster, actually. Yeah, he is still on the roster, it's not a total bust pick at all, but he still feels like that was his biggest mistake.
2: Region. I, I like the fact that he stuck to his convictions. If there's one general manager that will stick to his convictions, it seems like it would be ghetto. When everyone kind of like, you know, chastises him and makes him out like he's an old stupid man. I, I just, yeah. I, I think that's ridiculous. I don't think he's, I think he's, he's, Sly like a, he's stupid like a fox, as some would, would say, you know, he's smarter than you would think. That's why he is a general manager. And he definitely has his faults, as Dan and I have said plenty of times on this podcast. But he also does well evaluating talent coming out of college. And he can't argue with last draft class with this. Let's just hope this one ends up uh, coming to the same. Um, You know, ho- hopefully it works out as well, too.
1: Yeah, I I agree with that. I think, you know, and people, you know, this caught a little bit of attention a week or two before the draft when Bill's general manager, Brandon Bede said, you guys are, you guys don't get it. Like he, he leads on that he's stupid to the media, but he's not, he's a really sharp guy. I agree with that. I think Gettleman is a sharp guy. Uh, My issue with Gettleman just, he just has some flaws. Like in my opinion, there's no logic at all. And I'll never listen to anyone who says it to trade a third round pick when you're you in a midst of a losing season and you know it's going to be top 75 for an impending free agent. It just, it, it there's no logic that makes sense to it. It makes zero sense at all. I get it. You want to add a good player to your roster. Well, go ahead and do it in free agency because you know what? The Jets weren't tagging Leonard Williams. We know that. They've said it since then. And I have a hard time believing anyone would have offered him a better contract, a bigger contract than free agency in the Giants. I also have a hard time believing that he would have taken a contract that was similar to what the Giants would offer because it's so easy. When you build a family, and you start building a life in, in one area. That's why a lot of these teams can re-sign players by the way for cheaper than what they get on the open market because they don't want to move their lives they built something in the in one area you know and they want to stay there and that's what the Giants offered him as well a chance to literally play at the same stadium and live in the same area so I'll just never believe that and that those are the type of things that you know hold me back from saying he's one of the better GMs in the NFL but I can start to say you know maybe he's a little bit more closer to Average above average than we think because he does a lot of the things in the draft well, especially when it comes to talent evaluation and when it comes for and when it comes to, you know, not drafting for need.
2: Usually when, uh, you know, you stick to your convictions, as I said, and that's a good thing, but it could be a negative thing with just being stubborn and trying to like put myself into his his brain, which is very hard to do. I said (laughs) I, I don't know exactly what was going on in the building or what was being said among the entire front office and coaching staff at the time, but. I guess maybe he felt like, okay, I'm not going to get a player as good as Leonard Williams with the 68th overall selection, so I had to do it. But that's just neglecting to acknowledge all of the other things and all the other variables that go into making that decision, and uh, that's a a huge oversight, man. That's a dereliction of duty when, when it comes to that, but... You know, that was a mistake and you move on and, you know, you make mistakes and you bounce back and uh, hopefully and just by looking at this draft, I I do like this draft so far. I think you you got a franchise left tackle on Andrew Thomas. You got somebody who's going to be a really good defensive player, versatile defensive player in the second round. And and you have a developmental piece in the third and you add just a bunch of guys who who can probably earn a role on day three. A lot of them being seventh round picks. So it's um. It's definitely something that I, uh, like again, like we said last podcast, I, I, I was a fan of what Gettleman was able to do with this draft. I, and hopefully, some of those, you know, even seventh round picks earn significant roles on this team. But that definitely remains to be seen as a lot of development that needs to happen uh, before we uh, proclaim them the next, you know, Darius Slate
1: and Orion Connolly. Mm, yeah. Of course, we will have to watch. Someone will be that. We don't... It's hard to say there. Another theme and key takeaway I thought from this draft I want to get your thoughts on is that they really put an emphasis, Nick, on revamping and modernizing their linebacker corpse. I think that it's been way too long for them to put any... Em- that they put any emphasis on the linebackers. And I think while they also... While they not only poured a lot of assets and picks into the position over the... And picks, free agent signings over the past two drafts, especially this one, um, and free agency, they also viewed it from a different mindset. It's not the BJ Goodson types. It's not the Thumpers. It's a different kind of linebacker.
2: Well when it comes to uh Carter Coughlin and Cam Brown, I agree with you, but Brunson
1: and Crowder. No, who, no, not the seventh round. Yeah. I'm not talking really about the yeah. seventh rounders here. Cause I think for the most part, they're either going to be viewed as sub-package players, maybe, but mostly guys who they think can be awesome special teamers. They're looking for special team aces, I think, with those picks.
2: But McKinney, like you can't rule him out. And people people will look at his position, they'll see safety, and they'll just think, safety, he plays at the back end of the defense. He's the last line of defense. It's not like that. That's an antiquated way to look at the modern defense in the NFL. And love, like, like, love McKinney, Peppers, those are all box players. They can play Mm -hmm. in a box. You don't want them to do it all the time because they're undersized, but you can do it and they can execute that. And they're smart enough and they know what they're seeing. They can trust their instincts enough in that area. So and you can put them on the nickel. I mean, they're very very interchangeable uh, players. So and I love having that three safety rotation. We saw it with the uh, with the Giants back when they won their last Super Bowl. Obviously different uh, defensive coordinator with Spags, but what was it? Dion Grant and Roll and uh, Kenny Phillips so it was a kind of like a rotation they played big nickel and they would put all three of them on the field and it's like okay what are you going to do to beat us not saying that's going to be what Patrick Graham does it still kind of remains to be seen I know Patrick Graham runs a lot more middle of the field close so that could be single high that could be three high depends but I just like the fact they have that versatility they can keep offensive coordinators on their toes with different kind of coverages bring pressure from different areas and they're going to have to scheme some pressure because they don't have that edge rusher like Chase Young because Chase Young was selected two picks before the Giants could so there's a lot of things that kind of go into it but you added a damn good football player in Xavier McKinney and you can get a lot out of him so I, I just find that hard to knock
1: yeah me too and then one more theme I wanted to touch on you with before we talk about talk about some more of your overall takeaways and just little notes from the draft that we have is I think they've continued to show that pass coverage is going to be a priority for this franchise moving forward over you know at, over pass rush and I personally, Nick, I, I subscribe to that. I see it working with the Patriots. I see it working with teams like the Ravens, um, teams that are, again, not putting as much focus on edge guys. Again, they they franchise-tagged Juden because it worked out, but they let Darius Smith go, who's one of the best edge rushers in the NFL. They let somebody pay 20-plus million for him, and they didn't sign— and, you know, in the, and on the Giants' case, they didn't sign Jadavian Clowney for 20-plus million. They didn't you know pour a major contract into that edge position. And for me, with the way the NFL's moving, Nick— I just don't see too many systems anymore that are old school, drop back seven-step drops, long developing vertical plays all the time. Do teams mix it up and, and use those concepts? Of course. But offenses that I'm seeing, the vast majority, I'm talking like really vast majority of these passing offenses now are predicated on getting rid of the ball fast. And in that state and and, and to counter an offense like that, I'm just not so sure. Like sure on the big third and longs where you obviously have to take a longer drop and the plays have to take longer to develop. If you want to successfully complete a third and long, it's great to have the edge rushers. I'm not stupid enough to not think that, but on the vast majority of these plays, especially the big hitters that come on first and 10 or second and short or third and short, you need to have pass coverage. You really need the pass coverage breakdowns are why the Giants struggled. So I personally am for going pass rush, uh, prioritizing pass coverage over pass rush. And I'm curious if you saw the Giants kind of put that priority in, and if you believe that that's a, a step in the right direction.
2: I definitely saw the Giants put it at that priority, but I also think it was because there wasn't an edge rusher. If there were right. edge rushers available, I do believe the Giants would be able to. Because I see a lot of value in that position still, but that doesn't mean the NFL isn't going away from what you were just talking about. I want to say it was three years ago, my first year down at the Senior Bowl, which was 2017. I went down there with the Scouting Academy, and they held a class. Uh, held by um was led by matt sheldon who was bounced around the league a lot and been a part of a bunch of different analytical teams and it was basically about trends of the nfl and it was about tracking where the ball was thrown and the vast majority of passes were thrown between the one to seven yard range so and like it it was kind of eye-opening to see how many little dots were on his graph and you think about it; it's like, yeah. They, I mean, like, you push the ball down the field. You try to hit a big shot. You know, after maybe an interception. You know, obviously, there's there's plays that happen down the field, but the vast majority of it happens between the line of scrimmage and seven yards. So the balls get out of the quarterback's hands incredibly quickly, and you need cornerbacks who can be able to react to that really quick and be able to have line of scrimmage skills to be able to have that quick stop start, that click and close that we talk about. So, I hope Darnay Holmes can be that. We'll, we'll kind of see I, I, I saw, you know, like I said, I saw a corner who was kind of sticky when he's really in man coverage. But I was watching his 2000 or sticky as in like he was grabbing. He, he So it wasn't necessarily like he was always in phase. But I watched two, uh, one game of his 2019 film that I saw on YouTube. And it was probably one. Of, it was definitely one of his worst games because he surrendered three touchdowns in that yeah. game. So. Yeah, I definitely see how the NFL is trending in those directions of just get the ball out of your hands like what Pat Shermer did with Daniel Jones last year. You know, it was either it was a half field read. It's not like, oh, I'm going to take a five step drop from under center or a seven step drop from under center and do a full field read as I sit there and bop on my toes like you do in Madden or some shit when you really <laughs> rush the one guy. And you know what I'm saying? So it's yep. it is like that for sure. But um. I still, I mean, I still definitely put a high precedent on. Oh no, I blue want edge rusher.
1: Yeah. Listen, you want it's, the edge rusher, of course. Look at what Nick Bosa did for San Francisco's defense last year, and a so good a blue chip so good. edge rusher would unlock the hell out of Dexter Lawrence, Leonard Williams, and obviously Dalvin Tomlinson on the defensive line, and maybe B.J. Hill if he starts to get you know some snaps back, but. We get that. I get that. I'm not saying that's not the case. And like I said, some of the key, most important downs in the NFL are those third and longs that I just talked about. And you do need an edge rusher for the third and longs for the most part. I mean, giants are going to try to find a way to do it without one this year. We'll see if that works, but, and and I think again, a lot of their issues last year were coverage breakdowns, coverage lapses, but you do need it for sure. I'm just saying with, like you said, pointed out how much of the game is, is in that one to 70 yard range. Now, I think there's at least more importance than there used to be on pass coverage.
2: Yeah, and another thing too is the edge. Where where were the Giants going to get it? They could either give Golden a contract that would have been probably way too much and wouldn't have been favorable for the Giants because he's looking for a long term contract and he's only had success with James Betcher and in, in that scheme, and he's on and he's coming off an injury and he's like going to be thirty years old. Or you could just give Clowney this gigantic contract. I like the fact that they signed Fackrell and I know you like that signing too, but you think about the Fakrell signing. I mean, he had ten and a half sacks just not this past season but the year before that and then the Packers decided to do you know what they probably should have and upgraded the edge position brought in two guys and you know he just kind of got lost in the sauce but that's a high upside signing right there so they were, attacked it in that way and then in the draft there was Chase Young there was Caleb on Chase on there there was none there was nobody that you would have drafted at 4 and then there was no and you would have reached at 36 and you would have yes. had that opportunity cost of not drafting a really good player in Xavier McKinney so I just don't know where exactly they were going to get the edge rush. Could they have took a swing in the 4th round on someone like DJ Wanham over Darnay Holmes? Maybe, but Darnay Holmes is could be a better player and obviously they've done the work, they've done the film and they had a higher grade on him. And they end up getting somebody now uh Wanum is an incredibly long edge rusher, Cam Brown is an incredibly long linebacker. They're different kind of uh positions, but they still added a really long player to their defense. And uh I just I just don't um when it comes to the edge it just wasn't there bro it just wasn't, oh, there, for yep. the it wasn't there in, the yep. Yep. It wasn't there in for agency it wasn't
1: there in the draft yep completely agree with that wasn't there in agency it wasn't there in the draft you want to force it you could some teams do decide to make the force move when it's not there in for agency in the draft i believe those are the teams that end up being the losers in the nfl so i'm happy the giants didn't subscribe to that plan of attack That's anyway true. nick any oh i'm sorry go ahead i was just going to say i can't disagree with you there bub yeah all right well Any other key takeaways, nuggets, notes that you wanted to talk about from this draft? It's mainly the takeaways we went over, Dan. Leadership,
2: good locker room guys, protect Daniel Jones, get an offensive line, get tougher in the trenches with someone like Shane Lemieux, even in the interior parts of the line. Add length and add just players that are going to be good locker room culture kind of guys, add linebacker depth and uh, get some special teamers. <laughs> Joe judge can get his kind of guy and get that developmental tackle in uh, someone like Matt pert who has the upside to be your franchise, possibly right tackle, or maybe even left tackle. They prefer Andrew Thomas on the right side. It remains to be seen. There needs to be a lot of development there, but there are a lot of tools you just cannot teach. So, I mean, all in all, I come away pleased with the draft.
1: I have one more thing I wanted to, touch touch base with you on and see where you stood. As it got closer to the draft, we broached the topic of, you know what, maybe even though we both love Simmons and think he's the best just pure value picket for, maybe it's better to go tackle based on what we think will be on the board later at tackle versus what we think will be on the board later as a Simmons-type player. Um, as I look back, Nick, it's hard for me to not now think that They made the right decision by far to take Andrew Thomas at four over Isaiah Simmons because. I don't think there was any chance they could get anyone close to the level of Andrew Thomas at 36. There wasn't even a single player in that range that I like at th- to be an Andrew Thomas type at 36. I mean, you just look at how it went. Like, yeah, Ezra Cleveland to some, that's not, I don't think he would have been anywhere close to the impact Andrew Thomas can make, especially early on, especially in a power game, which we're saying we want the Giants to have, and really anyone else on that offensive tackle position, nowhere close to Andrew Thomas versus what they got at 36 which is Xavier McKinney, a player who doesn't have, obviously, the athletic traits of Isaiah Simmons or anywhere close, doesn't have the size of Isaiah Simmons. But you know what? In that Alabama defense, Nick Sabins, he was used in an incredibly similar role to how, not the exact role, obviously, but a very similar role to how Simmons was used in, at Clemson. So it's kind of like you almost got a, Clems, a, a Simmons light there at 36 with Xavier McKinney who, again, has been compared to Malcolm Jenkins by some, has been compared to Minka Minka Fitzpatrick by others. But again, it's just kind of this style of player. So for me, as I look back, it almost worked out way better by going with the tackle first. I agree, man. It did work out better. Andrew Thomas, and not, I mean,
2: he has all the traits of being that run blocker. He can pass, protect. He's not a huge liability there. Again, there are technical things he can work on, as we talked about in the first uh, draft day podcast, but he's going to be a good starter in this league with a lot of upside. And then you do land Xavier McKinney. I was actually thinking there's a team in the first round that went tackle safety in the first and second round. And I think it's gonna be a cool case study to see through the years. And that team is the Browns. They end up going with Jedrick Wills, who was my favorite tackle coming into this draft. And they double uh well they don't double down, but they get a safety in the second round with Grant Delpit. Yeah. Giants go with Andrew Thomas and Xavier McKinney. Now I think McKinney's a much better overall a much better overall player than Delpit. I just think Delpit has more range, but his tackling woes are, you know, Huge. And I think Jedrick Wills is smoother in pass protection, a lot smoother in pass protection than Andrew Thomas. But I do think and I think Wills is an excellent run blocker, too. But I think Andrew Thomas and Wills might have totally different characters, which is something you and I really can't know too much about. But according to everybody, Andrew Thomas is off the charts from a character light and Wills might be, too. But we know Joe Judge and Gettleman have some sort of ties with Saban and those programs. And they know they got the skinny on both of those players. Both Andrew Thomas and Wills, they go with Thomas a much longer, and they want the length and uh, much more uh, just a bigger presence. So I can't I can't knock it to be honest. Like I said, I can't I couldn't knock it. I liked Wills, but I'm not gonna knock the pick whatsoever. But I think over the years that could be a fun little case study to pay attention to to see uh,
1: how the picks um, kind of materialize for the Giants and the Browns. Both with the same position in the same round. That's an excellent point, and I, it's funny because one of the writers, uh, one of our draft writers, Josh Edwards, a really good friend of mine dating back to our days at 24-7 Sports, was, you know, we we were talking throughout the draft, obviously, in our Slack room for CBS, and literally he said that his number one tackle in this class was Andrew Thomas. He was praying the Browns would get him, and his number one safety by far both for the Browns and as a fit was Xavier McKinney. So he was just so pissed that the Giants nailed both of them because he really wanted both of them. And it is interesting to compare those teams as we move forward. And like you said, it's really not just the character things there with Andrew Thomas. It's also, like you said, Gettleman has a type. It's the length. And it's the fact that Andrew Thomas is going to be a really good run blocker from that power scheme. And then it's also the fact that, listen, if you can get a left tackle or a right tackle when you have a right-handed quarterback like Daniel Jones, you probably want to go for that left tackle.
2: Yeah, and another team to throw into the mix, the Buccaneers too. I forgot they went with yep. Tristan Wirfs and Antoine Winfield Jr. So, I but to me, I I mean like I, I don't want to weigh too much into the Browns one, but like I'm I'm totally happy with what the Giants did. Let's just lay that out there. But like I look at Andrew Thomas, and I I I know towards the end of the draft process, I was definitely leaning Thomas over Wirfs, but like well as I revisited, I'm I'm much bigger on Thomas than I. Than I am on worfs. I I just saw so many technical issues with worfs that could could clean up. But I, mean, I think he's going to be a solid player. But I just don't think a lot of people were talking about it. The his um the issues that he did have just because
1: he was such an amazing athlete and he blew the That's combine the out thing. of the water. Werbs, right? It's like it depends what you're looking for. So like if you want to bet, like Wirfs upside is through the roof, and that mm-hmm. goes into why he's a top pick. It's not like when you when you watch him on tape, you can see the different. Like he's not nearly as sound as as Andrew Thomas and Jedrick Wills. I don't even think he's close, but... The upside is just kind of what you talk about. The best athlete literally to ever test at the combine at that position and a former wrestler who's just like has that mauler potential in the run game to go along with just unbelievable potential blocking in space on screens and in the run game. That's what you're getting. I think. There. Oh,
2: yeah. No doubt. And I would prefer McKinney over Antoine Winfield. Uh,
1: to be honest, I got a, I got a weird uh, little question. I prefer McKinney over everyone. I, I came around to McKinney so hard. Yeah. I, I'd rather have him than anyone in this draft, especially because of what they're going to do on this defense. Like, A, I think he can fit in the deep half for all. I don't think he has anywhere near the range of Delpit and Davis. But range is not everything when you have a guy who's going to be able to play, fill so many hats on a defense like this, where you're going to need someone to fill so many hats. Oh, definitely, man. So wear to wear so many hats. Just not fill so many hats. Yeah. Wear so many hats. Hey, fill you, so many- could, you could fill the hats with
2: your head. You could do whatever you want. <laughs> yeah. You want to know something interesting about the Giants? They have to be the only team in the NFL that have two players who are going to be starting on their defense with their name, starting with X.
1: Well, I like that one. Very, very interesting side point here from Nick. We're talking first name, players with X, and yes, you're right. Wait, 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 no, wait a second. Who's the other one? Oh, Zimenez. Yeah, you're right. <laughs> <Damn it. laughs> I was right. called West. Clearly, as you can tell, we have we're, our brains are not <laughs> operating at this high level. Even with the nice sleep that we got individually, obviously, Nick, Nick was grinding film. I was doing work, but yeah, I like the take anyway, Nick. Thank you. Probably the best take we've had on this pod, I think. Easily mine. (laughs) Easily your best take ever. All right, guys. On that note, we do appreciate you guys tuning in to every podcast we got. This one was our overall takeaways from the draft. And thank you again to everyone who has taken the time to actually... Write a review for us and give us a five star review. Some recent ones we got were a Darren from Atlanta, Georgia. It's always cool to hear that we have fans that are listening, not just from the New York, New Jersey area. And he says, I appreciate all the detail you guys put into your podcast. I listen to every single Giants podcast, but this is always the first one I click on. Keep up the good work. Good. I'm really happy that we're the first one we click on. In my mind, I think we're the best Giants podcast by a considerable margin. That's my own opinion. I'm going to say it. Maybe I'm biased. Hopefully, it's not as strongly as my bias towards Wisconsin dra- players in the in the NFL draft, but. I do believe that. And then Leg App, I actually think that name sounds familiar. I don't know where I've seen Leg App before. Maybe it was on Twitter or something, but Leg App leaves us a five-star review, and he says the best Giants pod out there. Dan and Nick are amazing at what they do. They're giving an in-depth view that any serious Giants fan should love. I'm so happy I found this podcast. The recent coverage of the draft has been especially great, uh, and I loved all the guests, analysts leading up to the draft. We also really experimented and, light and, and feel confident and – clear that the experiment to bring on uh, guests for this podcast was a good one. So we have as the long off season awaits, as we head toward what may be no uh, off season workouts, maybe no mini camp, and hopefully not no training camp. I hope by then the world's a little bit better. But as we wait for this long off season, we do plan to have a lot more guests on this podcast to kind of fill you guys in with that same kind of content. So definitely keep an eye on that. On that note, everyone have a great rest of your night and go giants.